X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, July 13th, a good day to subscribe and share The Local with a friend. Today on The Local, we'll start with your quick six news, and then a conversation between comedian The Real Hijinks and I talking about the Northwest Black Comedy Festival and comedy overall during COVID-19, and an interview with Minority Retort from Jason Lamb and journalist and activist Bruce Poinsett. Today, back in the day, July 13th, 1863, the New York City draft riots, the largest civil insurrection in American history, besides the Civil War itself, white mobs attacked the black community in lower Manhattan. Initially intended to express anger at the draft, the protest turned into a race riot, with white rioters, predominantly Irish immigrants, attacking black people throughout the city. The official death toll was listed at either 119 or 120 people. Numerous public buildings were ransacked, two Protestant churches, the homes of various abolitionists or sympathizers, many black homes, and the orphanage for black children. At 44th Street and 5th Avenue was burned to the ground. The demographics of lower Manhattan changed after the riot. Many black residents left Manhattan permanently, moving to Brooklyn. Historian Samuel Morrison wrote the riots were equivalent to a Confederate victory. 4,000 federal troops had to be pulled out of Gettysburg to suppress the riots. So if you've been to Manhattan and you wonder why it's so stratified, particularly between lower and upper Manhattan, which you might know as Harlem, this isn't something that just happened. It's something that got done. Also today, back in the day, July 13, 2002, the Biscuit Fire. A series of electrical storms passed over southwest Oregon's Siskiyou Mountains, ignited five separate fires, eventually growing into a single conflagration and burned for over four months. A reminder, by the way, that fire season is starting. What fresh heck might that be? X-ray. And first up, it is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. In protest news, widely shared videos showed a protester getting shot in the face by a projectile requiring facial reconstruction. Another video showed uniformed officers charging and attacking medics trying to assist a fallen person. After a weekend of violent response to protesters, Oregon's governor and two U.S. senators yesterday decried President Donald Trump's use of federal officers to counter demonstrators. Mayor Ted Wheeler had remained silent since federal officers arrived July 9th. Sarah Iannarone, candidate for mayor, did make a statement. Here's a quote. Portland should be leading the nation in ending violence and innovating nonviolent, supportive community solutions to public safety. And last night, Wheeler did issue a statement calling for federal officers, and I'm quoting, to adhere to the same directives as our Portland Police Bureau. Meanwhile, police transparency and accountability hearings are scheduled in the Oregon legislature this week, Wednesday through Friday. You can check out Friday's episode on The Local for a quick guide on engaging. And Portland Public Schools leaders said they're still figuring out what the start of the school year is going to look like. The current plan includes some in-person learning while maintaining physical distancing. The current plan includes some in-person learning while maintaining physical distancing and some other precautions. But that plan could change. In an update on Saturday, the school district said school buildings will only reopen, and I'm quoting, if public health experts say it is safe to do so. Otherwise, they said, teaching will take place online. Under the current plan, the first two weeks of the school year, September 2nd to the 11th, will be conducted virtually. During that time, teachers will reach out to students directly, teachers would receive training, and that training would include making sure every student can access online learning. For elementary students, pre-K through 8, the district is developing a plan where students would be split up into different cohorts, some going to school in person on Mondays and Tuesdays, others attending school on Thursdays and Fridays. Wednesday, just go around cleaning up everything, wiping off the desk, sanitizing everything. For high school students, Portland Public Schools is considering a model in where students take four classes per semester. That would make up for a total of eight classes for the entire school year. That schedule would allow students to complete a year-long course in one semester. 
And in order to shrink class sizes, high school students would use a similar cohort model to pre-K through 8th grade students. And the school district has also said it's looking at full-time online school options for families who don't feel comfortable sending their kids to class in person. Your daily dose of COVID data. On Saturday, OHA reported 409 new cases. That's the biggest number reported in any day so far in our state. Sunday followed up with 332 new cases. It shows that numbers are continuing on a rising trend, an increase, according to the health authority, that is not attributable to more testing. Health officials said that only about 14 percent of cases are actually being detected. In a worst-case scenario mapped out by the health authority, transmission would climb by about 10 percent, resulting in about 7,300 new infections per day and 76 daily hospitalizations by the end of July. Hospital capacity seems to be adequate for at least the next two months. If cases continue to increase, that capacity might get stretched. Washington State is also seeing an increase with the cases per day number now exceeding where they were when Washington was having its outbreak back at the beginning of April and of March. And for the first time, the United States has recorded more than 70,000 new coronavirus cases in a single day. Meanwhile, CNBC reporting the White House is seeking to discredit Fauci amid the coronavirus surge. And in international news, which we don't usually cover, New Zealand has lifted its COVID-19 restrictions, except for letting folks come into the country, because their virus cases have hit zero. According to a report of the Portland Housing Bureau, median income for a white household in Portland, just under $66,000. Median income for a black family in Portland, less than half that, just about $30,000. And as a result, according to the Housing Bureau, there is no neighborhood in Portland where the average black family can afford to rent a two-bedroom apartment. An average white family can afford to rent such an apartment in more than half of Portland's neighborhoods. The one neighborhood where the median black household can afford rent for a studio apartment is Raleigh Hills in deep southwest Portland. So as we talk about protests and we look at the incidents that are happening in the weekend, let us also make sure we are seeing a large picture. An anti-gerrymandering measure. You think it's gerrymandered, don't you? Most people say it that way, so it's probably okay. But the guy it was named after was Elbridge Gary. He was vice president or James Madison, by the way. The redistricting ballot measure failed to submit enough signatures, as we talked about before, but a federal judge has said the measure might be on the ballot this fall anyhow. U.S. District Judge Michael McShane ruled that the stay-at-home order issued during the pandemic placed, I'm quoting, an undue burden on signature seekers. The judge said that Secretary of State Bev Clarno can either place the redistricting measure on the November ballot as it stands or change the rules so backers have a much lower signature threshold to qualify. McShane said he's going to issue a written ruling this week. Proponents of IP57 say it's an anti-gerrymandering measure. Well, they probably say anti-gerrymandering. IP57 might be the single most important measure on the ballot. Under current law, the legislature is slated to redraw congressional and legislative lines this year following the release of the 2020 census. Supporters of this initiative weren't able to begin gathering signatures until the governor had issued her initial stay-at-home order. They were able to gather about 64,000 signatures, but that's way short of the 150,000 required signatures. The judge said if Secretary of State doesn't place a measure on the ballot, McShane will impose a lower signature limit. Meanwhile, though, Judge McShane said he might not have the last word because the issue is now before the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Stay tuned for this one, folks. I know the rules stuff might seem wonky, but look no further than the debate around the Electoral College if you want to make the case that rules do or don't matter when it comes to political power. Take a bow. The Oregon Symphony has canceled concerts until next year. The Oregon Symphony announced the cancellation of all in-person concerts and events through the end of 2020. That includes 43 performances in Portland and Salem between now and January. 
The symphony is the largest arts organization in the Portland area to take such steps. The orchestra furloughed and laid off staff and musicians in March. It was able to hire workers back with the several million dollars it got from the federal PPP program, but that money ran out in June. Symphony lost $5 million in ticket sales for concerts scheduled between March and June. It's now taking another $4 million hit due to the loss of advanced sales for the fall concert schedule. And now the Oregon Symphony is turning to Salem for help, trying to get the state legislature to commit some money. The emergency board is meeting soon. Here's the quote from President and CEO Scott Showalter of the Oregon Symphony. Even in our hunkered down state, we will need $3.5 million between now and the end of the year just to come back. Meanwhile, the Multnomah County Library has told staff to expect layoffs. The library director wrote in an email that it's hard to imagine when the library will begin to resume in-person programs. And in that email, Director Valiolki said that layoffs will be effective starting August 31st. And a little bit of opening news. The Portland Art Museum will begin reopening on Thursday. The museum will have been closed for four months due to the coronavirus. The museum will have four free admission days spanning Thursday through Sunday. The museum said it will require all visitors and staff to wear face coverings as well as maintain six feet of distance. Visitors, kind of like the zoo, will have timed entry tickets. Admission for adults will be discounted by half beginning July 23rd, and that discount will last until all the galleries can safely be reopened because they're only opening some of the galleries. Shout out to the art museum. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. The media and the real hijinks in Jefferson Smith are up first the Northwest Black Comedy Festival, comedy during COVID, and a little about the future. The Real Hijinks is a Portland comedy leader. He's a co-founder of the Northwest Black Comedy Festival and Dirty Angel Entertainment, also a stand-up comedian. And I will explain why I'm excited to talk to him in just a moment. First, let me welcome him. He's been waiting patiently. Hi, James. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing this morning? I wish we could be in the same room. I enjoyed that very much. You're over the phone. How are you holding up during this time in history? You know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I've seen better days. I can't wait till this is totally over, but I'm doing okay for the most part. What's your silver lining, if any? Uh, we got to get the festival off in time, and we're gearing up for it next year. So, yeah, ex- so, explain the explain the festival. And Some people are already aware you've been on the show before to talk about it, but, yeah, explain the festival. Uh, the Northwest Black Comedy Festival is a festival that me and my wife put together uh four years ago we just did our fourth year it was beautiful four sold out nights marshall warfield came and headlined over 80 black comedians from all over the u.s here for four days it it was beautiful uh it's something that um it was a dream that i wanted to do and my wife thought i was crazy but she backed me up and here we are getting ready for our fifth year I was just going to ask how many it is, and remind people when it is, and it's probably too early to get tickets, but the uh, but yeah, remind people when it is and how they can engage. Well, it's going to be in February. We do it every year during Black History Month. So it'll be next year, it'll be February 18th through the 21st. Uh, tickets and everything will be up. Just follow, if they follow us on Facebook, follow me, follow Harvey's Comedy Club, follow any of our pages. Uh you know, we'll keep them up to date with everything we got going on. So I'm glad you're taking this time, and I want to tell a funny story about booking this conversation. Uh, and, but actually, I should follow up on that. So given that you do it every February, and you mm-hmm. said you just got it in, I mean, heck, had, had COVID-19 swept the country 30 days earlier, you might not have been able to do it. That's right. Like, literally, we were probably the last comedy festival to happen before the pandemic set in. 
because I was scheduled to be in a couple festivals that I booked around and all of them got canceled. Like we literally just barely got it off before all of this started. What have been some highlights? And now you've done it four times. You're heading into your fifth. What have been some highlights over the time? Um, this last year was probably filled with more highlights than anything. Having Marsha Warfield come down to headline, she's a legend. And to have her come down and be a part of our festival was amazing. Um, all the, Just all the comics, all the different talent that we had. If you would have came to the festival uh, every night, there was a different lineup. You never saw the same comedians twice during out the whole festival. So if you missed one night, you missed it. You know, so that was a remarkable thing about this year's festival and the most memorable thing. It was just it was just the talent was outstanding this year. So outstanding. What if somebody bombs, what do you do? Do you just call the just call, if people don't laugh, you just call the people who don't laugh racist? Nah, we don't do that, you know what I'm saying? But we don't worry about that because I'm telling you, you could not have came to this festival and not laughed. You know, like Nobody's ever bombed. Nobody's ever bombed. That's good. And the man. only and the reason I think that is is because me and my wife literally take our time and we handpick the lineups. Like we make sure we're going to get the best, the brightest talent to be a part of the festival. So we, like we sit, like last year we had close to three hundred submissions. Me and my wife sat and watched every video, every minute of every video that was submitted. How, what are you finding funny right now? How are you engaging in comedy right now? Right now, I, you know what, I'm not. We just, one of our venues just opened back up, so we got to start our open mic back up that we do every Tuesday night. But during the pandemic, I really, I didn't do no comedy. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't writing. I did a couple skits, and I had a couple people call me about doing some um, online shows, but I just, I couldn't do it. I just, it's not the same. I need the crowd. And this, you know, we did, we, we've done a couple of them online, right? Jason Lambert mm-hmm. just, uh, just did a festival, actually, nine comics, and it was funny stuff, but it is different. It, we figured a couple things out. He figured a couple things out, including mm-hmm. having like a, essentially like a laughing room. Some people kind of on a Zoom call, so you could hear some laughter, so it wasn't right. just isolated. But it is a really different thing. Comedy is such a, such a social engagement. It is. What a... Uh, how how are comedians making it through this time? Are you guys communicating and and or at the very least plug your Tuesday night uh, plug your Tuesday night show your your uh, open mic? Yeah, I mean we're getting a lot of comedians are starting to feel comfortable to come to the open mic. But before that, I personally got with a couple comics, and every week we would just do a Zoom meeting, not necessarily comedy, just to check in on each other, make sure we were all sane. You know, so we would uh, every once a week we would get together and just have a Zoom meeting. Not necessarily about comedy, just let's check in on each other. How are you doing? Anybody need anything? You guys okay at home? So I did that to get through it. You know, I had my I had a lot of comedians that I kept in contact with, and we just you know we kept each other balanced and kept each other sane in this time of chaos. So you know that's what's done got me through this. Do you do anything outside? It seems like like what we know or we think we know is that mm-hmm. protests, you know, huge protests all over the country have not been 
indicators at least of any significant increase in outbreaks and there's a lot of people there whereas like a trump rally in tulsa mm-hmm. inside a stadium does seem to indicate an outbreak it seems like there's a big difference of things airborne of the air stewing around versus the air you know being able to distribute more broadly into the sky are you doing anything right. outside of any decent outside venues that doesn't work in portland in february but it might in august and september right i mean if I'm hoping by February that, you know, God willing, that this all blows over and we can get back to a, somewhat of a normal, you know, a normal life where we can actually be outside and be together in rooms and not have to worry about, oh, my God, that person over there sneezed. Are we all going to die? You know, I, I'm waiting for us to get past that. And I'm hoping by February, you know, like, this is a thing of the past and we're looking back at this like yo you remember last year when we didn't you know so i'm just hoping that you know common sense kicks in and people start being because my thing is we don't need to be scared of this we just need to be cautious say more what's the difference what's the difference between fear and caution in your mind i don't we shouldn't be locked in our house like we can't go outside don't do this don't breathe on them no just wash your hands give people six Give people six feet, wear your mask when you're out in public. Do the little things that can stop the spreading of it. You know, so, I mean, we, we should be a little scared, but don't be in, don't live in fear. I hope Just you're right cautious. about February. I hope you're right about February. I remain pessimistic. I, I am not, uh, I am, I'm not making any big, uh, I'm not making any big plans for February that would require mm-hmm. me to be within six feet of people, but I hope you are right. Anything else you want to plug? You want to say again where the open mic, uh, where the open mic is and how people can check that out? Uh, open mic is every Tuesday night at East side bar and grill at uh, 2530 Northeast 82nd Avenue. Uh, we are practicing social distancing at this mic, at this open mic. We're giving every uh, comedian microphone covers for themselves, supplying masks for anybody that doesn't have masks, hand sanitizer and Clorox wipes to wipe down the mic before you get on stage. So we're taking all the precautions that we can, but we want people to come out, hear some jokes, and have some fun with us. Every Tuesday night, Eastside Bar and Grill. The real hijinks. Thanks, man. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Up next, Jason Lamb, co-host and co-producer of the comedy show Minority Retort, brings us an interview with Bruce Poinsett. Jason and Bruce bring us a discussion about hope, sustained energy, and what meaningful change can look like. You can hear Minority Retort on X-Ray each Friday morning at about 8.40 a.m. Hey, everybody. It's time for another edition of Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb, and I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show which features all quote-unquote people of color comedians hosted by myself, Julia Ramos, and a now-rotating cast of POC comedic characters that you can usually see at the Siren Theater when the world isn't in flames. Uh, We hope to be able to see you again very, very soon. Here on the show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. We also talk to other talented, creative, and thoughtful people of color who are doing big things in the community and the world at large. And brings me to my guest today who is returned to the program. He is a writer and community activist. Uh, you may have seen his work in The Oregonian, on The Scanner, Street Roots, and many other fine publications. And he's also uh, the co-host of a weekly show on The Numbers, uh, the station that I mentioned earlier, uh, called Press Play Northwest. And it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show, Bruce Poinsett. Bruce, how are you doing this morning? 
Hey, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for coming back on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, I went against the thing that I said I wasn't going to do, or at least I told, I told myself I wasn't going to do, which is I'm going to ask you how you are uh, to start with. Um, and the reason why I wasn't going to do that is I, I'm trying not to, to do that when I talk with, uh, with black people on the show because we're, we're getting asked that so, so much these days. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't really want to have you, um, you know, necessarily go into uh, something that you're, you're forced to talk with uh, or talk about um, more than you want to, uh, which how you're feeling about everything that's going on right now. Um, and, you know, that's not why I want to have you on the show. I, I wanted to, to have you back on the show to, I guess, instead of talk about, like I said, how you're feeling with everything going on and, you know, what, what, can, what can we do uh, to change things and specifically what can white people do to, to make things uh, better and, and, and fight for equality. Um, but I instead wanted to use the show at least for the next little while to talk with as many different black people as I can um, about what's going on, but talk about it in a way that I think is most, um, that I'm most curious about. And that is to ask this question, or this series of questions. Do you feel hopeful that what's going on right now will lead to meaningful change in this country? And if so, why? And if not, why not? So, so do I feel hopeful? You know, um, it, it's a mixed bag. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about you know the feelings of hope and everything we talk we look at you know the media images we look at these mass mass protests which are you know undoubtedly very you know very encouraging very powerful very more importantly effective but at the same time there's also kind of this understanding of you know things die down things you know just circumstances uh you know we're we're in a pandemic where you know dealing with massive job loss you know there's a lot a lot of factors which you know historically that's how these things work but you know there's a lot of factors at play so you know i think there's a lot of a uh, feeling of so when is the you know one of the numbers going to go down when are things going to kind of go back to you know the normal for a lot of like organizers who you know feel like they've probably been you know uh, you know, just like screaming in the middle of the forest for so long, and then suddenly it's like everyone's here, right? Mm. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said I don't have a lot of those same feelings, but at the same time, I actually am, despite that little soliloquy, I'm actually pretty hopeful in this regard, is that whenever, you know, you have these big moments or these, you know, these uh, collective, like, shared experiences, you, even if, like, the, you know, the total, the mass numbers don't necessarily sustain, you always get, like, a new, a new, uh, just, like, influx of, like, game changers, for lack of better terms, you know, people with fresh ideas, people with fresh energy, people who, you know, may have been on the fence before or may have just been interested in other things before who you know 
are in it for the long haul and are you know going to contribute their talents and you know like I said their fresh ideas and fresh energy and you know anytime you get more of those people anytime you get more of that you know sustained energy it it's always a positive it always helps move things forward and kind of like expand the pool of ideas so to that to that end I'm hopeful to I'm also hopeful that you know we've the narrative of the discussion is kind of changing. You know, I think one of the things that that uh, that I keep coming back to is that I think if you're a black person in America, you you have to have on some level, no matter what your politics are, if you're some kind of far right, you know, Trump supporting black person in America, you have to have some cynical bone in your body about. On, on some level uh, about you know actual true change happening I, I I mean maybe maybe that's not true I, maybe there are some people out there that are like hey everything's fine um, <laughs> <laughs> but um but well for me I, I know that I I can be quite cynical about these things so just as I, I look at history and you know and 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 you know these these things come up and you know and 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 some measure of change does happen but you know um but that change is either very slow or, you know, we, we kind of, a lot of us forget about, you know, what, what, uh, what prompted um, the outrage and, and, uh, and so forth. And we kind of go back to normal as you were talking about before. Um, and with this, you know, we're seeing a lot of, um, we're seeing a lot of activity from corporations, you know, reexamining, um, I guess their, or making sure that their um, their stance on equity and um, you know and 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 they, they want to you know showing that they support Black Lives Matter and et cetera, um, and you know to to that end, I wanted to read something to you here. I'm not sure if you saw this uh, this thing from Jersey Mike's this meme. Nah. Uh, let me read this to you here. This was uh, posted by a comedian named Yasir Lester, who's a uh, 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 producer and, and writer on uh, shows like Black Monday and um, and Divorce on HBO, uh, but he posted this uh, this on Twitter. Uh, this is a, a Jersey Mike's ad, uh, and it reads: We here at Jersey Mike's are always striving for greatness with our sandwiches, but also in our community. We have listened to the larger cultural conversation and decided that effective tomorrow, July first. Our famous BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, will now be known as the BLM, the bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Black Lives Matter. And um. I, <laughs> now that's not real. <laughs> that was supposed to be a comedian, uh, as I mentioned. But that really kind of stuck with me when I saw that because it seems, you know, it 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 it's a it's a commentary on kind of what we're seeing, you know, from from corporations and. Um, you know, and, and other organizations uh, to make sure that they um, are are shown that they are are, are standing on the right side. Um, and I wonder how you felt about kind of that thing that's going on right now. Um, do you feel like it's symbolic, or you know, or or genuine, or or does it matter if it ultimately gets to the place where you know they are showing that they're on the right side of things? I mean, like that. 
That's fake, but like, I mean, the the Washington football team right now is going through a, a thorough review of <laughs> <laughs> their racial slur of a name, and that that's very real. So, <laughs> you know, it's not far off. But uh, you know, honestly, I think it's a lot of you know, it is you know a lot of white guilt and wanting to be on the right side of history and understanding, you know, you know, it's gonna hurt you and your customer base if you're not. So. You know, on one hand, does it matter if it's real? To a degree, like if you, you know, if you work at these companies, I imagine you, you're probably rolling your eyes in some degree, but you're also, you know, actually hoping the climate at your place of employment gets better. At the other, t- on the other note, though, like these are, you know, these are companies with real, you know, significant profits and real resources. And, you know, this is the impetus for getting them to use them to actually, like, invest in black communities for real. Then, you know, you got to, like, put as much, you know, apply as much pressure as possible to, you know, get them. Obviously, like, you know, there's discussion now of, like, yeah, all these, there's all these symbolic changes, but, you know, what about actually, you know, the systemic change in police, you know? systemically changing the police, systemically, you know, I don't even want to use the word, like, reforming, but, like, what about defunding the police? What about arresting, you know, murderous cops? What? So there's that discussion, too. But I do think, you know, this is an opportunity for, you know, people who have not, or companies or powerful institutions that have not been invested to, you know, do better and actually not just do better, but like listen to the needs of the people, you know, the organizers, the activists, the people on the ground for, you know, to take cues of like what they can do. And again, actually listen to those suggestions and apply them. So whether they do that or not, as opposed to just, you know, some of these symbolic statements or, you know, black squares or whatever, remains to be seen but i would hope you know i would hope they would do better because you know that symbolic stuff will also you know the bar for symbolic uh activism or symbolic uh engagement has raised you mentioned uh, the organization that you work with uh, respond to racism uh, a moment ago and uh we just have a few minutes left with uh our guest today writer bruce Poinsett. um uh, I want to ask you about that. Uh, can you give folks an, an idea of what uh, Respond to Racism uh, is all about? Yeah, so uh, we have a couple minutes. So, yeah, we're grassroots anti-racism group in Ella. We hold, you know, we hold monthly community meetings. We try to, you know, educate, have discussions. We're also very active in the community, whether it's, you know, working working with students, working with parents, you know, trying to keep an eye on, you know, these different boards and commissions, you know, providing different, uh, you know, educational resources outside of just, you know, our monthly meetings or outside of our social media or website. Um, it's a lot, but, uh, we, um, yeah, we're, we're just kind of, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of holes to plug when it comes to like anti-racism work especially in a you know place that's very infamously nicknamed Lake No Negro so you know <laughs> it's like we're trying to you know we're trying to do all 
as, well, not all the things, but you know, as many of the things as we can possibly do, whether it's you know advocating, whether it's you know providing support and community building, whether it's you know educational activities or events. So, yeah, yeah, just you know, and whatever you can think of. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, you, you grew up down in uh, Lake Oswego, is that right? Yep. Yep. And so, um, <laughs> as you mentioned, what the what the nickname of the uh, <laughs> of that area is, Lake No Negro. Um, you know, you you know more than anybody what uh, uh, what you're working with down there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I guess to that end, and this is the last question for you. Um, uh, what's the response been like from? what I have to believe is the majority of the population down there, the white white community to um, the, the the organization and are, are they actively involved? Uh you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of interest, a lot of uh you know, people have been showing up to like public events. Um, you know, our meetings have been more attended. We've gotten, you know, some more uh we put out calls for volunteers that have been, you know, more heated than in the past uh i was i try not to look at it like right in the moment but kind of more like what's it gonna look like two or three months down the line so you know what i can say now is that you know there's a lot more interest and it's encouraging but what i really want want to see is whether it's going to be sustained and what that's going to look like and you know when things like when things get difficult when things get tricky you know Who's still going to be invested? Because right. I mean, that's really the test of it. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Um, well, you know, I've always wanted to uh, to go down to one of those uh, those meetings. I'll have to uh, to check them out uh, uh, when uh, when you have one because um, I'm I'm very curious about um, what uh, what the response is. Uh, literally, what the response is to uh, to racism down there in in Lake, Lake Oswego. So, uh, but thank you for the work that you do uh, with that and, and all the work that you do in the community. And it's a Pleasure to have you back on the show. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you and uh, find out more about you and and uh, what you have coming up, where can they do that? Yeah, you can find me, uh, I think, most active on Instagram at uh, Poinsett, P-O-I-N-S-E-T-T, Bruce. So, yeah, at Poinsett Bruce. I'm also on Facebook. You can also find Respond to Racism on Instagram and Facebook. So search Respond to Racism, L-O. Uh, I've got... You know, I've got a book talk at the Tiger Library next week uh, oh, on the eleventh, uh, or no, on the sixteenth at eleven o'clock. Uh, again, we mentioned it before, but uh, Press Play Northwest is on the numbers every Wednesday at five p.m. So you know, catch the radio show, and yeah, I think I think that's what I've got for events and social media and all that. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, we'll have uh, people uh, check those things out, and um, I just want to thank you for coming back on the show. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks again for having me. It's always, always a pleasure. Thanks to Hijinx, thanks to Jason and Bruce for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.